Amen. I thank God that we can believe and trust the cardinal truths of the, fish, the Christian faith. If you have your Bibles, I want you to take them to the Gospel of John. John this morning, we're going to go back into Jude next week, uh, but I want to take a, a little bit of a detour. This week has been a little taxing on all of us, and I want to give a, a complete thorough attention uh, to what we're going to talk about next week, which will be out of Jude, and a focus in on the coming of Jesus Christ, and how important a subject that is. And so we're going to take a little, a little detour this morning, and uh, I don't think that's our, uh, uh, I think I may have messed up on the, uh, the, the outline there, Brother Roger, and so I don't know if the next line may be, uh, nope. Nope, I got the wrong outline. I did something to the PowerPoint. Somehow I got the songs right and the outline wrong. I don't know. But we're just going to do without the outline this morning. But if you have your Bibles, John chapter number 4 and look at verse number 43. 43. We're going to read down through verse number 54 and, and kind of go along, along with, uh, with that passage of Scripture. Yes, will you believe? I want us to look at... at uh, uh, this passage of scripture and ask that question, will you believe? And I want to delve in a little deeper uh, than just the belief in cardinal doctrines, but I want to look at our faith and trust. And so, will you believe? John chapter 4, and look with me at verse number 43. We'll down, read down through verse 54. Now, after two days, he, that meaning Jesus, departed thence and went into Galilee. For Jesus himself testified that a prophet hath no honor in his own country. And when he was come into Galilee, the Galileans received him, having seen all the things that he did at Jerusalem at the feast, for they also went unto the feast. So Jesus came again into Cana of Galilee, where he made the water wine. And there was a certain nobleman whose son was sick at Capernaum. And when he heard that Jesus was come out of Judea into Galilee, he went unto him and besought him that he would come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. Then said Jesus unto him, Except ye see signs and wonders, ye will not believe. The nobleman saith unto him, Sir, come down ere my child die. Jesus saith unto him, Go thy way, thy son liveth. And the man believed the word that Jesus had spoken unto him, and he went his way. Now as he was going down, his servants met him and told him, saying, Thy son liveth. Then inquired he of them the hour when he began to amend. And they said unto him, Yesterday, at the seventh hour, the fever left him. So the father knew that it was the same hour in which Jesus saith unto him, Thy son liveth. And he himself believed in his whole house. This is again the second miracle that Jesus did when he was come out of Judea into Galilee. Will you believe? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. Thank you. For the Lord Jesus, God, I thank you for this passage of Scripture and how, and how we are so like this nobleman in our approach to Jesus in many regards. God, I pray that this morning, as other passages of Scripture have tells us, we believe, but God, help us our unbelief. God, I pray that you would, you would do heart work in us this morning to, to cause us to believe you when the outward circumstances reflect no movement of your power, no signal that you're doing anything, God, help us to believe you, to trust you, to take you at your word. Father, we ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen and amen. I read the story one time about church members who were really upset about a local bar that had opened up within eyesight of this church. These people were very upset about that and complained uh, uh, to the owner 
that they were going to pray that God would strike the bar with lightning and burn it to the ground. Well, the owner just kind of shrugged off the, com- uh, the comment. He never gave it another thought. But a few weeks later, a thunderstorm blew into the community and the bar indeed was struck by lightning and burned to the ground. The bar owner, remembering the comment from the church members, brought a lawsuit against the church, citing that it was the direct result of the church's activity that the bar was burned to the ground. His argument was that the the praying church members were to be blamed for the loss. The church members, in turn, hired their own lawyer who argued that the, the church could not be held liable and responsible for what had taken place at the bar. After a long review, the judge reported that the case was so confusing. But he was convinced of two things. One that the bar owner believed in the God of prayer and that the Christians did not believe in prayer. You know, if anybody ought to be characterized as true believers in the presence, the power, the activity of God, it ought to be Christians. As a matter of fact, you can't be a Christian without believing and trusting upon Jesus Christ. The kind of belief and trust in the person of Jesus that changes lives and alters destinies seldom is something where the effects are seen miraculously. Before us in this text is a man in crisis over his dying child. And he rushes to Jesus requesting a miraculous healing for him to do something that he had heard so much about, that this man Jesus could heal people, and Jesus confronts him, rather rebukes this man, except ye see signs and wonders, ye will not believe. You know, there are some in the religious circles today that that say that we could evangelize a lot better if there was... And, and, and evangelization could be a lot more effective if we had these signs and wonders to authenticate the gospel message. Signs and wonders like you see in Jesus, uh, in His ministry, in the ministry of the apostles. Uh, uh, this would lead to uh, a teaching though that there is no saving faith without a, some sort of miracle, some sort of sign Uh, some sort of strange activity uh, that that someone can't be saved without some sort of outward sign of, of, of a heavenly act. But Jesus contradicts that teaching. He contradicts that by saying, except you see signs, except you see wondrous things, you will not believe. The question that Jesus poses to this man and, and to the bystanders, and I submitted to you, he, he poses the question to us today. Will you believe Him? Will you trust Him without seeing outward signs and manifestations, signs of wonders, miraculously? Will you trust Him without all of these outward signs? Now don't get me wrong. I... I I don't put God in the proverbial box and say that God only does certain things at certain times. I'll not relegate the miraculous to the New Testament and and say that God doesn't work miracles. Listen, I've been in ministry quite some time and and to be honest, I have experienced moments in which God has answered prayer in miraculous ways through healing and through uh, through uh, intervention, divine appointments. I've seen God do too much to say that God does not work miracles in our midst. As a matter of fact, one of the firm doctrines of the faith is the authenticity of miracles. We believe those things. But to insist upon them 
before belief is really getting the cart before the horse. And what, and what if you believe Christ for a miracle, for a healing, for a reversal, for a provision, and that presumption never materializes? I mean, for many people, their faith has been made shipwreck because of that very point. I, I can't tell you how many people that I've talked to through the years I said, well, I used to go to church. I, I, I used to believe in God. But when God took my mother, when, when this circumstance happened to me, when this tragedy happened, I, I really fell out with all that. I don't really believe that anymore. You see, that's what Jesus is addressing in this passage of Scripture. What is to become of our faith when we cannot see God working? When there are no visible signs that He is doing anything? I believe there are many in our church today that are secretly bitter at God because He didn't follow through with the plea the way you designed it. The way you wanted it answered. If that's you today, then I want you to know this scene in the Gospel of John is just tailor-made for you. This text also teaches us to believe Christ, His words, His character, His ability, His compassion, when there is no visible or material reason to do so at that moment. You can believe on Christ without the aid of a sign or a wonder or a miracle by recognizing three truths that I want to pull from this text this morning and offer to you. Three, three truths that will help you believe. Number one, I want you to see the trial that compelled him. The trial that compelled him. You know, it's important for us to key in on the word nobleman in verse number uh, number uh, 45. Oh no, verse number 46. So Jesus came again into Cana of Galilee where he made the water wine and there was a certain nobleman there. Nobleman whose son was sick at Capernaum. That word nobleman there is a word that literally means the king's man. This is, this is not just a man of stature in the community of respect, maybe respect in the local synagogue. This is a man who is near the king in some sort of regal authority within himself. Likely he was an officer of Herod Antipas, the tetrarch of Galilee. And this was a man of, uh, of some means, an eminent rank, and yet, this trial, this desperate situation compelled him to seek out the miracle worker, Jesus. Now in this trial that compelled him, I want you to see the scene of desperation. There can be no doubt that this man of regal position had exhausted all the help that money could buy. I'm reminded of the story of the woman with the issue of blood. Do you remember that story out of the Gospel of Luke? How that she had uh, some sort of lady problem that constantly, constantly drained her. She was weak. She was anemic. And it said that she spent everything on doctors. Everything that she could. No doubt this nobleman who is in the midst and the throes of this moment of crisis did everything he could for this child he no doubt hired the best doctors the latest treatments and all of them proved to be ineffective the child's condition did not improve and this father with all his standing and all his position was rendered absolutely powerless helpless to do anything for his precious son all of us have lived enough life to where 
maybe we've known of a grandchild that was very, very sick, or even our own children that are very sick. And there is a sense of powerlessness. Just this morning, uh, Allison contacted Carrie early this morning when she went to the emergency room. And, and uh, you know, uh, Carrie, I, I could sense in my own heart as well, we felt so powerless. Something we could do. Something we could do to help. Disconnected, so far away, out of our expertise to try to help. He feels so powerless. She began to weep this morning. That's no doubt what this father felt like. He couldn't do anything. This occasion, this trial, this storm, this crisis, whatever you want to call it, was completely out of his control. As much as we like to believe we are in control of so much in our world, there are trials, desperate situations that come into our lives that we are helpless to face. I remember watching a documentary, uh, I think it was back several years ago when the, uh, uh, no, back in 2021 maybe when they, they reviewed that, those 2011 uh, tornadoes that tore through this area. You remember those devastated Trenton, hopped on down to Ringo, cut through Rossville, just devastated places in Alabama back in 2011. And they were talking to this woman whose house was hit by the tornado. And she was quoted as saying this, All I could do was lay there as I felt the debris fall on top of me and hope that nothing big fell on me. That's helplessness. Sometimes we feel that way even when there's not a tornado. God, just don't let nothing big crush me. God, I can't control anything. All I'm doing is trying to hold on for dear life. I'm sure all of us have been in such a scene of desperation, powerless to do anything to change it. That was this man. That's the context. That's the background. He can't do anything to help his child. He's doing in desperation what he can to do something for his child. Not only a scene of desperation, but a search of determination. Look at verse 47. And when he heard that Jesus was come out of Judea into Galilee, he went unto him and besought him that he would come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. It's been well said that adversity is the good shepherd's black dog. Did you hear that? Adversity is the good shepherd's black dog. C.S. Lewis said that when that God speaks to us in our health, but He shouts to us in our pain. The sickness of this man's son caused this nobleman to seek out Jesus. Jesus had returned to Galilee and was in Cana where His first miracle took place. And no doubt word had spread quickly, hey, that the miracle worker, the one we heard all about that had turned water to wine at the wedding of Canaan. He's back in town. And people began to come in in droves. It was when that he heard that Jesus was in the area that this man made a decision. He made a determination to seek out Jesus. His trial awakened him to his need of Christ. There had been no trail, he would have probably, had there been no trial, that's why I, I mis, <laughs> mistyped that. Had there been no trial, no moment of desperation, this man would have let Jesus walk right on by. He would have gladly sat in his own palatial home and watched his son play in the garden had there not been a trial. Had there not been a crisis. But when crisis was upon him, the ability of Jesus, the power of Jesus, was brought clearly into focus. You know, oftentimes we rue, we despise trials and pain and hurt. But oftentimes those are the very catalysts. Those are the very things that drive us to Jesus. It is our needs that drive us to Jesus. I've seen it through the years in ministry. Sometimes it takes a prison cell. 
It takes a rescue mission mat to get a man's attention. It may take a financial disaster, a physical disease, but God knows how to get our attention. We are kind of like those deacons who were discussing the need in the church and after several heated moments, one of the men said, I guess we'll just have to pray about it. And another one, not really guarding his words, says, my goodness, has it come to that? As if, as if praying is, the, is the, the last resort. But that's, that's how we all are. We, you know, we never seek God in, we rarely seldom, we, never, we seldom seek God in the good times. We seldom seek God when the, when, the, when the health report is fine, when the bank account is full, when things are going smooth in the family. It's, the, it's, it's our own, we're all like that. We don't become desperate for God until the storm rages, until we're out of control. But that's the very thing that brought this man to Jesus. And I submitted to you, it's the very thing that draws us closer to Him. It's only when we've exhausted all other possibilities that we desperately seek the ability of God. Now my question to you today to apply this story to our lives is what's your trial? What is it you're dealing with? A disease, a sickness, a marriage that is dying, a a child's distressful situation. Is it a job? Is it in finances? Whatever the need, the best thing you can do right now is seek the face of God. Is petition the Lord Jesus Christ. Do whatever it takes to bring your need to His hands. Bring your trial to the feet of Jesus, just like this man. Not only, do we see, uh, not only do we see the trial that compelled him, but I want you to see the truth that confronted him. Look at verse number 48. Then said Jesus unto him, Except ye see signs and wonders, ye will not believe. You know, as I, as I read this today, I, I'm so grateful to this church for helping me get to Israel because... This scene really kind of comes to life. I, I see the backdrop. I was at Capernaum. I was at Cana. Uh, Cana. And driving those long roads uh, between the two. Cana was situated on the southwest of the Sea of Galilee, not far from the town of Nazareth. And Capernaum stood on the shores of the Sea of Galilee north and was about 20 miles between the two. Now, the only... We might not think much about 20 miles. I mean, we can zip in our car and do a little faster than we ought to, and we can be there in a few minutes. The truth of the matter is that a 20-mile trek from from Capernaum to Cana was fraught with danger. I was was blown away as as we journeyed around in Galilee. There would be complete fields where we would see, like you see on the side grass of our church, how smooth that is. There would be hillsides and mountainsides with that kind of base, but with large, sharp, jagged rocks all littered out through the fields. I I just couldn't believe it. How travel, how difficult travel must have been in that time of Jesus. And here this man, he gives no thought. Jesus is in town. I'm desperate. He makes his way to Jesus. As he arrived, can you imagine the crowd in Capernaum? They would have readily recognized this man. He's the king's man. This is somebody of power and stature. Can you see the crowd part for this royal emissary as he makes his way to Jesus? And as he does so, he finds an unexpected declaration awaiting him. Notice a revealing rebuke. Jesus says, except you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. This man came pleading for Jesus to come and heal his son. And Jesus, in return, astounds the nobleman and the bystanders and you and I today by giving him a stern rebuke. You know, I remember one as a kid one summer, summertime was the time we could sleep in. And I remember in the summer, one particular 
I guess it was a Saturday probably because that's when I slept in the most. My mom was wanting me to get out of bed for whatever particular thing going on that day. And she, she kept going in the room and reminded me, get up, get up, we got to get going. We gotta, you need to get up, you need to get up. And I moaned and growled. And finally she said, if you don't get up, I, I'm going I'm to bring water in here. I'm going to dump it on you. I'm going to give you a bucket of water. I just ignored that. She's not going to do that. And sure enough, she brought in a bucket of cold water and gave no regard for my mattress sheets, nothing, and just dumped it on me in the bed. It was a shock. I was, I was awake then. That's what this man, this, this, this rebuke from Jesus must have been to this, this tired and a breathless man as he came to Jesus. His words not only startled him, startled the crowd around him. You see, many of these people that had gathered around, they were there to see a sideshow, to be honest. They were there to see some, him work some kind of miracle, <clears throat> to do some kind of astounding deed. They were like the chief priests and scribe that marked Christ at the cross. If you be the king, let him come down now from the cross and we will believe him. Their belief was based upon seeing some kind of of, of miraculous deed. I'm afraid that many in our church and, and many of the churches today and in our family and our extended relationships, when it comes to an emotional charge, uh, they come to church for an emotional charge, for, to enjoy the music, uh, to revel in the so-called worship and snore through whatever the Word of God has to say. But this rebuke was also directed to the noblemen. Not just the crowd. Matter of fact, it says in the text that he said this unto him. Him, the man that, that is basically coming because he had heard Jesus could work a miracle. He, he wanted him to work a miracle for him by healing his son. He was mistakenly, this, this rebuke was directed at a nobleman who mistakenly believed that Jesus had to physically be there in order to heal his son and that if Jesus didn't hurry, it'd be too late. He was demanding a sign and wonder. I want, now, what brought him to Jesus? It was a curiosity. It wasn't a belief. It was a desperate curiosity. I've tried everything else. You know, I always cringe at the jail. I had a, there's a preacher that I've preached with many times, and I love him dearly, but part of his gospel invitation calls, if you've tried, you've tried everything else. You've tried drugs, you've tried sex, you've tried everything else for fulfillment. Why don't you try Jesus? Have you heard that? Maybe you've seen stickers. Try Jesus. Well, that's just like this man. He's coming to try. To sample it out. He had heard some good things and maybe he'll work for me. I'm going to try Jesus out. That's not what we're called to do. We're called to believe. This man in his heart of hearts is demanding signs and wonders. He's demanding that his son be healed. If his son be healed, well then he'll believe him. He wanted a miracle on his own terms. Is that you? You're unwilling to release or relinquish your desperate trial for the Lord. You don't want it out of your control. You don't want this situation to go in a, in a path or a direction that is detrimental to your sensitivities and your understanding. You want to control the outcome. I want, I want you to do the miracle but I want the outcome to look like this. This is what I have in mind. Remember, when that goes awry, that's when many people have problems in their belief and trust in Jesus. The truth of the matter is, is that you must relinquish it in belief. You must take the concern over the outcome of your desperate hour and release it into His hands unconditionally. Take your hands off of it. Let Him have it and release it. Because if you 
if, you, if you're trying to mold it into what you want, you're just like this man. You're seeking signs and wonders and will not believe. Let him have it. Trust him with it. And not only a revealing rebuke, but also a powerful promise. Powerful promise. Look at what it says in verse 4. And the nobleman said unto him, Sir, come down, ere my child die. And Jesus said unto him, Go thy way. Thy son liveth. The man believed the word that Jesus had spoken unto him and went his way. This man would not be put off though by the rebuke of Jesus, nor his teaching concerning his miracle working power. He may be desperate and in a hurry. He may have his own mindset as to how this should play out, but he's also very teachable. That's what's great. You may come in and, and you into the service and you, you may say, this is the outcome I want. This is the outcome I've got to have. Jesus, if you're real, if you have power, do this work in my life the way that you, I, I want it to. Give me the good outcome. Now you may, but here, you, that may be you this morning, but at least if you could be teachable. He knows how we are. That's why, that's why I'm here this morning. To teach you from God's Word how that you, you should be teachable as well. You should conform to His story, what we see in the life of Jesus. I find that the moments I'm the most teachable are in my moments of desperation. This man would not be denied and yet he persists. In his first plea, he used the word uh, to inform son, to inform Jesus. If you'll go back in verse number... Verse number 47, he heard Jesus was in Judea. He came to him, besought him that he would come down and heal his son. The word son there is just a designation of who this, one is, this, this individual is. But in verse 49, it said the nobleman said to him, Sir, come down ere my child die. That word child there, it literally means my little one. My little, my baby. There's, a, there's, a, there's more of an emotional Attachment he's expressing here. Can you hear this man pleading from the depths of his heart, come to my house before my baby son dies. Again, he was errant in his thinking. He's thinking time is of the essence. We've got a 20 mile trek ahead of us. And if we don't leave now, then my son will die by the time we get there. He was errant in his thinking, but his heart was desperate. <laughs> Psalm 34, 18, The Lord is nigh unto them that are of broken heart, and save as such as be of a contrite spirit. Your, your desperation is not off-putting to Jesus. He is touched with the feelings of our infirmities, and all points tempted uh, like us He was. He, he, knows, he knows the human element. He was one of us that He might die for us. But He is touched with the feeling of our infirmities. Jesus basically responds by saying, Okay, I will grant your request. I will heal your son. But I will not go to your house. You must believe me without seeing. Jesus is proving a point here. You have to be satisfied with my word. I relinquish, I relent, I will do what you ask, but you've got to take me at my word. You've got to take me at my word without seeing the end result instantaneously. This man could have asked for proof. He could have questioned Jesus. How do I know that he's healed? But he didn't. This man, it said it in the text, and he believed the word that Jesus had spoken unto him. He put his back to Jesus and walked away to his son. He did. He believed the words of Jesus and that was enough. When I read that, I'm reminded of John 11. Do you remember when Lazarus died? Mother and the, Martha, Martha and Mary, the sisters of Lazarus. Oh, if you had been here, my brother had not died. They were, they were so 
distraught with the death of Lazarus. Jesus says unto Martha in John eleven forty, If thou wouldest believe, thou shouldest see the glory of God. What a truth when related to not only the death of Lazarus and the trials in our life, but eternity. Thou shalt believe, thou shalt see the glory of God. Maybe you just need to believe Jesus this morning. That the scripture assures us that one day our faith will become sight. I don't, I don't know about your trial here down below. I don't know if your proverbial son that is nigh unto death, if it is in the plan and the will of God for that son to die, I don't, I don't know that. But I do know this, that you can trust His Word. You can believe, you may be desperate in your condition, But take that desperate condition and lay it in the nail-scarred hands of Jesus and simply trust Him. Just like this man. Trust His Word. Trust Him. Jesus wrought no miracle. No doubt this man was not there when the water was turned to wine. He was not there and when miracles were wrought in Capernaum. He did not see these. He had only heard that that was the case. Trust Him. Trust Him. Last of all, the trial that compelled Him, the truth that confronted Him. Finally, I want you to see the trust that comforted Him. The trust that comforted Him. Notice it said that He believed the word that Jesus had spoken to Him and went His way. I'm reminded of the story of Lucia Stead who trusted the Lord as her Savior at nine years old. She sensed God's call to be a missionary. Her plan was to go to China. But those plans were dashed as she was too frail for the climate there. Several years later, her husband drowned in a tragic uh, accident. Not long after this, this woman, besieged with tragedy, set out to be a missionary in Africa with her little daughter Lily in her hand. What was her comfort And certainty in the uncertainty that lay ahead, she put it in song form. You might recognize it. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus, just to take Him at His word, just to rest upon His promise, just to know, thus saith the Lord. All the tragedies and all that she faced ahead, tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. This nobleman experienced that same comfort. Notice with me, his peace found in the words of Christ. This man, not knowing what had become of his son, believed the words of Christ. The word translated believe here is a word that means to credit. To credit Jesus. To entrust, to commit, to act in accordance as if his words were true. This man placed the life of his ailing son in the capable hands of Jesus and he found peace in that promise. Now this specific promise was made to this specific man in this specific time in history. It's not as though we can necessarily hijack this promise for ourselves trusting that if we go our way that certain healing will take place. But we know this. We can trust that whatever our desperate trial may be, we can trust the Word of God. We can trust the character and the person of Jesus. My good friend, Dr. Terry Trivett said this, Faith must rest itself upon the Word of God. He, He may be pleased to give us signs and confirmations along the way, but in the end, it is His Word that we must cling to. I was not there to see Jesus nailed to the cross, but I have the Word of God to tell me it happened. I was not there when they placed Jesus into that tomb, but I trust God's Word to tell me that. I I have not peered into that vacant tomb, but I believe it is empty because God has recorded it in His Word. My feet have never stood on on golden streets. My eyes have never seen pearly gates. Yet I live each day believing they will because God cannot lie and He has given me His Word. 
Faith may have its questions and doubts may come to all of us from time to time, but our confidence must ultimately rest upon what God has said in His Word. End quote. Trust God's Word. The infancy of the Christian life is to trust God's Word. Why do you think it would be any different down the road? I tell you this morning, whatever your trial may be today, know this, that He has said that whosoever comes to Me, I will in no wise cast out. That whoever believes in Him has everlasting life. That He will never leave us nor forsake us. That He does work all things out to the good of them that love Him. That He cannot lie. That He will continue the work which He performed in you until the day of His coming. That all the promises of God in Christ Jesus are yea and amen. Trust God's Word no matter the outcome. Believe in him. This man turned his back in Jesus and uh, turned his back from Jesus and pointed in the direction of his crisis, only trusting Jesus and his word. That's how we live. We live. We live our life in this section of text between the time that he put his back to Jesus and the time he was encountered with his servants along the way. That's where we are. That's where you are. That's where I am. We're living in that span of time. I'm simply going forward trusting that what He said is true. I'm just going to trust Him. That He's got everything working out for my good and His glory. God is too kind to do anything cruel, too wise to make a mistake, and too deep to explain Himself. His peace found in the words of Christ. His profession based on the work of Christ. 53. So the Father knew, or he said, then inquired he of them, verse 52, them the hour that he began to amend. And they said unto him yesterday, at the seventh hour, his fever left him. And the Father knew that it was at the same hour in that, in that which Jesus said unto him, Thy son liveth and himself believed. Here's another belief. Here's another belief. Not only the belief in the words of Christ, but the belief of the realization. The realization. Heard the story of a a famed tightrope walker that walked across the Niagara Falls with a, a balance bar in his mouth, pushing a wheelbarrow with his hands. It's an amazing feat. And he walked all the way across Niagara Falls in that situation. He crossed the falls and the crowd cheered. The man that did the feat looked at a little boy that was in the front of the crowd. Wow, he was wowed by what the man had done. He was cheering him. The man said to the little boy, he's like, do you believe that I can go back across to the other side? The boy said, oh yes sir, I believe that. Then he asked, do you believe that I could take you to the other side? Oh, yes, sir. I believe that. Then he said, good. Jump in and I will take you. And the little boy said, no, sir. I'm not going to do that. He had faith, but no trust. You know, this nobleman came to Christ having faith in his power. He, He left trusting in his promise. There's a big difference between the two. But in verse 53, this man believed in his person. Ultimately, when God answers our prayer or calms our raging trial, it is not that we might be wide-eyed in amazement, but that it is what we might know and love Him more. You remember those those disciples on on the Sea of Galilee pulling against the waves in the heavy storm? Jesus comes walking on the water. He did not do that for them to ooh and ah at the ability of Him to walk on top of the sea. It was that they may see Him like they've never seen Him before. That they may worship Him from experience knowing who He is and His power. When God answers your prayer, when God meets your need, when you trust God's Word and the outcome is seen clearly that God's hands in it. It's not for you to ooh and awe 
and wonder over the amazement of the turn of events of how God has had His hand. It is to worship Him. It's to know Him better. It's to know more of His character and to trust Him. The profession based upon His his profession was based upon the Word of Christ. He said He believed in His whole house. There's nothing like a there's nothing like seeing God work in people's lives and do things to make you a witness for it. This man was immediately a witness. Honey, you're not going to believe this. But the moment Jesus said, Your son liveth, is when that boy's fever broke. He is the Messiah, no doubt. He is the Messiah. He is the Son of God. I don't know where this man's where this man's story plays into the life of Jesus, but I guarantee you it does. This man took Jesus at His word. He trusted Him. Is that not what saving faith is? To trust Him without seeing miracles and signs. Without walking walking streets of gold. Without entering gates of pearl. To trust Him that what He said is true. That I am the way, the truth, and the life. That if he that believeth in me, uh, uh, though he dead, yet shall he live again. That that if we... God gave His only Son that He might die on the cross for our sins, that we, by believing Him, could have the gift of eternal life. We put our trust in those words. We bank our eternity without seeing gates of pearl, without seeing streets of gold, without seeing angelic hosts in the heavenly portals. We trust His Word. In his book, Seven Convincing Miracles, Dr. Erwin Lutzer tells of a missionary couple who who served in China before the communists took over in 1949. They had lived high in the hills and their only means of transportation was using a boat on a nearby river. At a particular time of the year, that river dried up. There was no way to get quickly down uh, to the places they need to go. They knew that if they were, were to get medical help for their child, that they would have to travel by boat. But the river was only a muddy stream. They they prayed that it would rain so that the river would swell and so that they could travel. But their prayers were unanswered. Days later, their child died. Shortly after the child's death, they they, they walked outside and rain was splashing down their faces. By the next day, the river had swollen and boats were able to travel. What would you do? What would you have said to God if that had been your child? Was God mocking them? Why should they believe when God seemed so heartless and even cruel? The missionary couple went on believing They learned that their faith is more than receiving from God what we ask, but it is the ability to accept whatever God gives. Whatever God gives. Is that the kind of belief that you have? Thomas Thomas was dead set that unless he put his finger in the nail prints in his hand, Unless he put his finger into his side, he would not believe. When Jesus finally revealed himself to Thomas, Jesus said in John 10, 29, Jesus said unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are those that have not seen and yet believe. He's talking to you and me. He's talking to us today. Blessed, happy, joyous are those that believe and have not seen? Are you willing to believe the promise of God when everything around you is contrary to that promise? Trust God at His word. For you're here today that are without the Lord Jesus. You've never believed upon Him in the first place. He says to your unbelieving heart, an evil and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign. And there shall be no sign given to it but the sign of the prophet Jonas. For as Jonas was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. There's your sign. There's your sign to believe on Jesus. There's your sign to put your faith and trust in Him. The only miracle 
of convincing that will be given to you is the miracle of the resurrection. But to us that do believe on Him, that have trusted Him, let us, let us trust His Word like, like this man did. He took God at His Word, put His back to Jesus, and went on His way. Hopefully you came this morning very teachable. You had, it, you had it in your mind, this is how this outcome has to be. This is how it has to come out. This is what I want. I'm begging God for it. I'm asking God for it. I tell you, let that go. Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Put it in His hands and take Him at His word. Well, Brother Ronnie, how, how can I take God? He, I'm not this man. He didn't give this specific promise to me. How can I? What can I trust in? All things. All things work together for the good of those that are called according to His purpose. For the good of God and those that are called according to His purpose. Trust God that He works all things out for our good and His glory. Let's stand to our feet, every head bowed and every eye closed. Will you believe Him? Will you believe Jesus? Man, there's nothing about, there's nothing, <laughs> nothing so fluttery that I've felt lately is seeing my son dive into marriage. I know him more than I know her, but I know him. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of anxious there. You know, there's anxiety. Wanting things to work out a certain way. Wanting things to go. And you know that. You know, many of you are parents. You, you know the uncertainty of letting your children go and hoping and praying that they, they take certain paths. They, they lead certain directions. We to place that in His hands this morning. Time to place that in. I'm to place Evan and Jenna squarely in the hands of Jesus this morning, and put my back to Jesus, knowing that His word is true, that His promises are in effect, that He will work things out for the good of them that love God and called according to His purpose. You do the same today, with your anxious thoughts and desires. Your needs. If you're here today and you don't know the Lord Jesus, believe on Him. Trust Him. Your miracle has already been given. Jesus is alive. Jesus is raised from the dead. 2,000 years we have been celebrating His resurrection. Come, know Him today. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we love You. Thank You for the Lord Jesus. Father, I pray that You'd work these truths into our heart. That You'd help us to believe. That You'd help us to trust in Your Word. God, help us to be moldable, shapeable. Let us place it in your hands and let it go. God, it is yours. I'm going to trust you with it. God, I'm, I'm going to pray that my son lives, but I'm going to put it in your hands. God, I pray. I pray that you would help our faith. I believe, help thou mine unbelief. God, help us to trust you, to see the glory of God in our lives. Father, we ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen and amen. Please turn to page 385, softly and tenderly. Jesus is calling. Here's the, here's the place and opportunity for you to respond to God's word, either at your seat or at this altar. Do business with God today. God's working among us this morning. God knows what He's doing. You respond as God leads. Page number 385, softly and tenderly, Jesus is calling. Brother Roger.